Radio Pulpit, 657 AM, your daily companion. Proud uh, red letters. Um, courtesy of Natasha Burns, selecting that beautiful one for you and I this afternoon to enjoy. I hope you enjoy that one, Natasha. But like I said, I'll be spreading them out. So we will uh, play Curry Job at some point, at some point in the show, definitely. Thank you so much. Always, always appreciated. We're joined on the line by Pastor Tamang Mufuging. Moruti, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Alcine Point. Good afternoon to listeners of What Heart. Are you good? We're doing great, Alcine. Repeat, Alcine we cannot complain. Really well. Lovely. What do you have for us today? Well, Alcine Point, I just want to reflect on the topic, making a difference with what you have. Making a difference making, with what you have. Yes, Alcine. Hmm. Making a difference with what you have. I'm always fascinated by the ideas of not stretching yourself far away from yourself, failing to recognize that often the place to start is not far. It's always here with you, with me. That's where we start. And that when we start with ourselves and not, you know, stretching ourselves too far and and, and whatnot, that when we start with ourselves, with the recognition of ourselves, that what we then do tends to be, firstly, very deeply satisfying. Number two, whatever changes it brings into your own life, they are changes that develop you, that move you forward, um, as opposed to bringing more problems to you, because they are, in a sense, an artic- it's an articulation of the person that you are. You are doing something, you are studying something, and... In your studying, you're not studying from somewhere else, from something else, but you're studying with yourself. Therefore, that which is within you will so unfold in accordance with the person that you are and therefore cannot bring harm to yourself. It can't be uh, harmful to yourself because it is it, it, it develops and it unfolds in accordance with the person that you are. I, I always, when I think that way, I always take cue from the land a uh, uh, world of, of plants, for example, uh, seeds. When whenever you hold a seed, all that that seed is potential. It's an amazing potential. It it uh, one seed of maize. If a person has vision enough, and to be augmented later on by labor, by effort, right? That one seed can feed millions. Of course, it's not at a goal. Because there's time to it, there's effort to it, but you can hold one seed and not despise the one seed you have in hand because you know that that one seed holds the potential to be many fields of the same seed that if you put it in the ground and the necessary processes happen to it and a, 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 it shoots forth as a plant, that it bears uh, more of itself, which you then commit again to the ground. And so as you do that over some time, everything else working together, you have this vast field full of seeds, uh, full of this, and this is food, and this is all the other things that you can ever think of. So so this is why I'm saying this, making a difference with what you have. I'm looking at uh, chapter, uh, the book of Acts here, chapter 3, 
from verse one to twenty-six. So basically, it's the entire chapter. But I'm I'm much more fascinated by the 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 the, the, the first part of it, the beginning parts of that chapter. But I'm going to touch on a number of things because I think there are some interesting uh, insights in the entire chapter. So when you go into chapter three of the Book of Acts, um, we meet with a lame man, a man who is lame from birth, who is sitting at the gate called Beautiful in the Jerusalem Temple complex and who is begging for money from people who are entering the temple for purposes of worship. So he's there begging for money, and and on this specific day, where we're reading on this specific day, there are the three disciples of Christ who happen to be going into the temple, the hour of prayer, so they're going to offer prayers to, and as they're walking in, they see this man sitting at the gate, and he sees them too, he asks them for, for uh, financial help. Help me with money. And, of course, um, then a number of things begin to happen there. Basically, he ends up restored. Instead of the money that he asked for, he gets something different. And then you, you, we see them in the temple uh, itself, in the temple enclosure itself, with many other people. He's excited. He's happy. He wanted money. He's not got, gotten the money he wanted. He's healed. He's praising God. And now the people, the crowd that is around, uh, gathers and is quite surprised. It's quite amazed to whom then Peter confronts with very important points that I will just want to enumerate a bit. The first one is to ask the crowd why are they surprised. So it means, from Peter's perspective, there is nothing to be surprised by what has happened. Hmm. He has a lame man. They know him. They recognize him. He is no longer lame. And that is, of course, a miracle. It's an amazing thing. But he has this thing with him, that they are not to be surprised uh, by this. And of course, he raises the point, Peter, to say, do you suppose that this man is well, has been restored by any virtue from ourselves, by any power of our own, by, own, by, any, uh, by our own holiness, so to speak? Do you suppose that we, we have something to do with that, the fact that this man is, 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 healed, is healed in this way? And he does this. And it's an important thing that I, I think I want to come back to. He does this, therefore he decenters himself when he says, it is not by our own power, it is not by our own righteousness, the man who walks here healed. He is taking himself out of the equation so that in their surprise, they do not look at him and his fellow disciples, rather apostles now, mm-hmm. that they, look at, they do not look at them and begin to confer far too much than should be upon them. They should rather look unto God, and that is what he does. So he decenters himself, he decenters the apostles, and he focuses them on God. He mentions God. He says, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our ancestors, has given divine glory to his servant Jesus Christ. So he decenters himself, he wants them to see God, and when they see God, then he wants them, he draws them to the attention, of, uh, uh, he draws their attention to what God has done by giving Christ. So he brings them to that. It is not about me, this man is healed, it's amazing, it is great. But it is not about us. It's not about us being lauded for this act. It is about the God of your fathers, our fathers. It is about what he has done and which he has accomplished through Jesus Christ. So he decenters himself. He puts Christ at the very center of everything so that they see, and as they are surprised, they have to process that this which they see comes from Christ himself. 
So he, he does not deal with the activity um, from the perspective of beginning to hype himself. Rather, he, he takes them to a, a different point to make them confront them. He confronts them with Christ to have them look at deeper issues. And this deeper issues includes participation in the Christ-rejecting lifestyle. And this is where he becomes very personal. Because from verse 13, he says, you rejected Christ. The God of our fathers has given divine glory to his servant Jesus. But you rejected Jesus. Verse 15, you killed the one who leads to life. Verse 17, of course you were ignorant. I don't blame you. I am not just accusing you, uh, uh, you know, out of a heart full of hatred. I'm doing this to make you take responsibility for the state of affairs you find yourself spiritually. I am still aware that you were ignorant. You and our leaders, you were ignorant, verse 17. But of course, what has happened was to fulfill Scripture. He's bringing them into the context of scriptures that are being fulfilled as they are listening. And, of course, which even as we speak ourselves, scriptures are being worked out. Scriptures are being fulfilled. So he brings them into the context of the fulfillment of scripture. And then he says, now this is what you need to do. Because you are, as it is, as I've just said, you rejected Christ. You killed the one who, who leads to life. Yes, in, in, in ignorance, of course. But you did these things. So... If you were to ask yourself, what are we to do? He provides an answer. He says, repent then and turn to God so that he will forgive your sins. So this is what Peter does. He confronts them. They are awed, amazed, surprised that the man they know to be sitting at the gate, always begging for help, is now walking around quite excitedly praising God. And he says, it's not us nor our righteousness, but it is God through Christ, the one you rejected, and all these things that he mentions. And he says, you can fix the situation that has now happened, actually. And, and he says, well, the, the fixing starts with repentance, the change of mind, turning towards God so that he will forgive your sins. It's an amazing way of deflecting from ourselves, of decentering ourselves, and ensuring that only Christ gets the glory um, for, for things good and amazing things that are happening around us by which we, uh, for which we may have something to do, but it's Jesus Christ, so we never take away uh, the lost glory in that sense. Now, here is uh, a few things also important that I, I, I want to hide from, from this text, as it is, that I think are important. It is amazing to me that the apostles, through Peter, find an occasion, we do not know if, had this man not been healed, would they have had the chance to articulate the gospel, to preach it that day that they found themselves in the temple. They had gone there to pray. We do not know. It's difficult to think that through. But nevertheless, it is, this, is, it, this is what is amazing, that the presentation of the gospel, with the potential to usher so many more people into salvation, was based upon the apostolic response to a need of one man, one person. That the majority in that temple complex who get to hear this message, who get to be confronted with this message, who get to have this kind of preaching that has the potential to bring them into the kingdom of God, was solely based 
on the response to a need of one person. Of course, once we draw attention to that, we are able then to say, whoever is en route to bigger things must begin somewhere. For anybody of us to be anywhere better, greater, anything, there is some place to start. And often where we start does not look anything close to where we end. Where we start does not look anything close to where we end. There are people who would not want to start in the ordinariness of life, but would want to uh, be part of something extraordinary. Life does not work that way. You start where you are in the circumstances of life that you find yourself in. Change happens in the context of the ordinary, of the familiar. The extraordinary nevertheless starts with the ordinary. It starts from that base. Therefore, somebody says, not despising the small beginnings, the base of small beginnings, because that's the basis of anything that you see and is big and is amazing, is glorious and all the other things. So he who or she who is en route to bigger things must begin somewhere. The presentation of the gospel at the temple complex uh, by, by the apostle uh, Peter and them, the other two, that opportunity that stood to bring many more people into the kingdom of God, nevertheless started, started as a response to just the needs of one man at the gate. If, had they ignored that man, it, it should be that maybe this opportunity would not have existed. Therefore, uh, it's important at any given time that we seize opportunities in our own daily circumstances to do something there because that's exactly where the basis of anything that is ever going to become anything really of significance starts. They start in the ordinariness of life. Now, we, of course, note the lame man wanted money. It was for that same reason that he was put there by those, by, by those that put him there, whether friends or family. He wanted money, but the apostles gave something more. They gave restoration to the man. And this, of course, makes it possible for us to say, it is not always what we want, but what we need that must be met. Not always what we want, but what we need that must be met. Of course. Knowing how it's important, the difference between needs and wants goes a long way. Often we are confused between the two. Yeah. Our language, as we speak it, often gives us away our confusion. We, we easily name things that are just there. You know, we name them need. I need to. I need. So there's a lot of I need to that should not <laughs> never be said because it's not a need. Yeah. Just something I want to do. <laughs> <laughs> <You know? laughs> and nothing happens that is detrimental to me if if, if I don't do okay. anything about it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> hey. So sometimes some clarity and some precision is called for <laughs> in how we think about ourselves, how we think about uh, our lives and the context within which our lives are found so that we can be a bit clearer as to what is it that has to happen. Is it? It ha- does it have to happen, or is it something that you can do without? Uh, that you'd be excited to have, but you know what? Even if it doesn't come, it's fine. Life goes on. So the ability to differentiate needs from wants goes a long way. The man wanted money. The apostles 
gave him something much more. They gave him restoration. When, when, when Peter says to him, look at us, he, he, he asks for money. And they say, look at us. To me, when I read that, there's, there's almost a sense of, look at us. Do you, do you think we have money? You know, there's a, a sense in me that seems to suggest that that could be a thing. Look at us. You're asking money from us. You know, and, but, but he doesn't leave him just like that to say, look at us. We're not the kind of people to have money. He knows that he has something. He may not have the money. And the money, and money may be the currency that is popular, or the currency of exchange and of doing good or whatever. But he doesn't, he doesn't, you know, bother himself with that. That he doesn't have. He's not going to get worried and, and by, by that which he doesn't have. Rather, he knows that there is something else he has, and that which he has, he's willing to give, as opposed to the one that the, the thing that is being asked. He has something else to give, so he's not worrying himself to say, I, I don't have what this man is asking, and therefore I'm, I'm going to move on. No, I'm going to give him that which I have. And this is how he says it. He says, silver or gold have I none, but as we have, so we give. And that is the thing, making a difference with what we have. Not worrying ourselves with the things we don't have. Really not sweating ourselves for things we don't have, not majoring in things we don't have, always complaining about the things we don't have. No, 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 no. Rather, focusing on what is it that I have, because there's something that I can do with that which I have. And then I, I, I do not feel as powerless once I recognize what I have. It's something that I have in whatever uh, amounts and volumes, depending on what this thing is. But it's something I have, as opposed to an awareness, a greater awareness of that which I don't have, which leads me to complaint and upon complaint and, and feeling bad because, of course, I don't have that specific thing. And therefore, I can't change anything around me. I can't change anybody. I can't contribute positively with the things I do not have. But if I recognize what I have, therefore, there is a will and there is a willingness in me to part with a portion of that which I, I, I have, I can make a change. I can make a difference. So making a difference with that which uh, we have is what we're talking about. And it is for that reason that when we look at the text, we, we see the apostles either in, in, in the fall, never allowing himself to be pressured in any way to respond in the way of the many, therefore, who have been passing through the gate and responding to the request of this man for money, giving him the money or just walking on because, you know, sometimes when somebody asks you for something you don't have and you're embarrassed to admit that you don't have, you just walk stiff-neckedly forward because it's an embarrassment to admit that actually I don't have. Or sometimes you just simply are irritated by this person wanting you to, to, to respond in particular ways. Peter does not feel obliged in any way to, re to respond to this man's question and ask a request in the popular way that everybody passing there has been responding, and this man is now used to expecting the response to the request he's making. Rather, Peter digs into his own resources to answer the situation that is presenting to him. And it is in that sense that I, I, I remember a song, I was involved, um, uh, I heard this song amongst my boss, Stola. It's it, it a Zulu song. What do you have in your own hand 
bringing to mind to look into things close by and not far off. A song that, for as long as I've heard it sung, for some reason, my mind always rushed, and there could be many other places where it could rush to, but it always rushed to Moses um, in front of the Red Sea with, 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 with the mountains on the, on the left and on the right, and Pharaoh coming behind, and an Israel that is terribly scared. And this Moses stares at the Red Sea. And, 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 you know, it's, it's like they are closed in, there is no way out until the Lord chips in, comes into the context, because, of course, Moses had just told the people to be quiet, be still, no, he's God, there's no need to panic. We look hemmed in, closed in, left, right, mountains, in, in front, a sea, at the back, the enemy. It looks like we are trapped, but there is God, and with God we cannot be trapped. And, of course, the next thing, he is brought to an awareness, again, of the power contained through the Lord who invests that power in the rod, in the stuff that he has. The same stuff that the Lord performed the miracle at some point when he met with Moses, the same stuff that the Lord said to him when you appear before Pharaoh, drop the, the, the stuff, and that stuff became a, a serpent that ate the, the, serpent, the stuff that became serpent of this other uh, magician, that same stuff. He lifts that up and points at the Red Sea, and the water are parted, and they are able to, to walk right through. My issue is simply this. Yeah. Not looking far. Hmm. Not being worried about things you don't have. Focusing on what is it that I have. Because maybe, just maybe, and it's a great maybe, the miracle starts with what you have and not what you don't have. The same thing we see in Second Kings chapter 4, the first seven verses. The story of a widow who is ready to die for want, for lack, and the man of God showing up who wants to receive food from people who are saying, our last meal before we die. And he gives an instruction after he asks, what do you have? And the lady says, well, little oil, little oil. That's a sort of olignana. But that olignana becomes a great source of blessing as that woman begins to engage in business later on through the, the intervention of the prophet. She engages in business. She sells the oil, that same small oil. She sells it, and she pays off the debt for which she was very worried, and, and life is changed. The issue is the question that had to be answered, what do you have? And the answer we find in the word of Peter, I have no money at all, but I give you what I have. And he says, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And that is the thing also that I wanted to bring to the fore, that we can make a difference. We should be making difference, of course. We can make a difference with what we have. Paying attention to the things we have, as opposed to the things we do not have, that make us feel belittled, that bring us uh, to our knees, dismayed, discouraged because we don't have them, but focusing on that which we have because indeed we can manage to share. In Sesotho, there is a saying, however small a grasshopper's head is, siblings share. And that is the spirit of participating in the miracle making other people's lives better from the basis of the little, if it is the little, that I have. 
never worrying about that which I don't have, but looking close by and knowing there is something with which to make a difference. I am wishing all of us, Ausimpo, that we make a difference. Mm. Wherever we are, with whoever we are, because we have what it takes to make a difference. Thank you so much, Klemuruti. We definitely have what it takes to make a difference, uh, to really make a difference. How do we get a hold of you on social media or any other platform? My email address is trmofokeng at gmail.com and my ex-account handle is at tabangrm. Lovely. Thank you, Maruti. 657 AM Streams of Blessings Do you need prayer? WhatsApp your name and your prayer request to 082-657-2729 and our care center will gladly contact you to pray for you. Do you read the Word for Today daily devotionals? We wish to ensure that your copy reaches you on time. You can now receive the booklet directly at an address of your choice or via email if you prefer. It's easy. Visit radiopulpit.co.za, select your choice and update your details. Or SMS the word DEVOTIONAL to 37871. You will receive a reply SMS with the options. Alternatively, contact client services on 012-334-1257. Standard rate supply. You and 657 AM and Life, a winning team on the road to eternity.